Welcome to Toward Wellbeing, a podcast that seeks to offer wellness information and explore solutions to well-being challenges faced by the legal community. I am Denise Permay, the Associate Director for the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program. We are so happy you are joining us today. As a reminder, we coordinate each podcast with the Washington Lawyer Magazine issue using the LAP column Toward Wellbeing as a jumping off point for a more in-depth conversation. The January-February issues column is called Taking Care of the Basics. The column focuses on the ways we can improve our well-being and calm our nervous systems during times of stress. My guest today is Michelle Cotter Richards, a former lawyer who is a therapist and a coach for lawyers. Thank you for being our guest today, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Denise. I am so passionate about the work you all are doing at the LAP and the, you know, the support for the bar overall for lawyer well-being. And it's just a delight to be here with you. Thank you. So in the column, Julie Lopez of the Viva Center talks about the three pillars of well-being she recommends people focus on when they're looking to improve their mental and physical health. Her three pillars are focused on our nervous system and center on activities we can do to maintain resilience and calm our nervous systems in the face of stress. In addition to those super important pillars and excellent guidance that Julie gave, I would love to hear what you think lawyers can do to improve their emotional resilience. I know you've done a lot of work in this area. In fact, you taught an emotional intelligence course at the DC Bar a number of years ago. So I think listeners would really benefit from hearing your thoughts today. And the first question I had was, what do you think lawyers can do to take care of themselves from an emotional point of view? It's such a good question, and I appreciate us starting there, Denise. You know, I think one of the things that has always guided my work since I stopped practicing law over 15 years ago, which is a little crazy, has been sort of this divide that I think almost everyone I know in the legal industry faces between sort of the cognitive skill sets that we are taught in law school and that we develop in our work, which are so wonderful for our clients, right? It's the absolute essential thing our clients need from us. But I've always felt that maybe those are being overdeveloped at the cost of sort of this other aspect of ourselves, which is, of course, the emotional self. Yeah. And I think what I've seen over, you know, in the last 15 years is I think there's been a greater awareness of the value of emotions. I almost laugh when I have to say that. But sometimes in lawyer communities, I am still making the case for why feelings and emotions are such an important part of us, not just having, you know, a wonderful personal life, but really showing up as our full selves as we can professionally. So it's an area that I'm really excited to speak about. You know, the first person to really kind of speak about emotions in a really sort of uh, research-based, scientific way was actually Charles Darwin. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's notes on, he, he was sort of hypothesizing what is kind of the evolutionary function of emotions going back to the 1830s. And he actually published a, a treatise, you know, kind of like on man and on the origin of species that was called, I think, On Emotional Expression. And that was in, you know, 1879. So I always open with that because I like to give my cognitive lawyers a hook for this discussion, right? And so my perspective on feelings is that when we sort of try to put our feelings to the side, however we do that, right? We can suppress them, we can ignore them, we can distract ourselves from them. We are really working against the way that we've sort of evolved as a species. And so it's really, for me, the place where I start with everybody, whether it's coaching or therapy, is... How can we kind of bring that full experience you have as a human being, which necessarily starts with your feelings, how can we bring that into your work and into your daily life? And if we did, what are some things that might shift for you? Right, exactly. 
So we used to talk in uh, classes when we did law school classes. We still do law school classes and teach about wellness, but we would talk about how in law school, law students are taught to separate their emotions from their cognitive thinking, from their, you know, their decision-making area of their brain. And they're not, it's, you know, all up in our brain, they're thinking and cognitive processes, and they're taught to separate that from their emotions. And I think that's great for law practice, as you know, but not so great as a human being. Well, and and I'm so happy you brought up law students. And I guess the one thing I'd say before I dive into that is, you know, I don't think it's great for a law practice. I think we think it's great for a law practice. But I think, as you well know, Denise, right, like we are suffering as an industry. Yes. And, and we are suffering in ways that is well beyond, you know, our colleagues in professional services and medicine, finance, these other very demanding environments, right? And so there's something unique about legal education and legal training that is contributing to this really, really enhanced distress. You know, I mean, the statistics are all over the place. Six, seven times the rate of depression, perceived stress scores off the charts, suicidality, extremely high substance abuse, extremely high. And it's really upsetting, honestly. You know, even though I didn't enjoy the practice of law, it's such a, a wonderful profession. And so many people that I know are, that are in it are so driven well beyond prestige and money. There's so many things that they want to achieve as lawyers that attract them to the profession. So I, I guess that's a long way of saying whatever we're doing now, I think is not great for the law practice. And I do see changes, right? One of my favorite authors in this area is Lawrence Krieger. He's a professor at the University of Florida. He's great. He is great. And he is pretty courageous, I think, because what he's identified really is that as a result of really kind of the legal culture, we're sort of creating this really negative and sort of infectious culture of the legal industry. And I think some of the most compelling research he has looks at first-year law students when they come in and kind of some measures of mental health, like resilience and, you know, their clarity on their own personal values, kind of their view of their own self-efficacy, their ability to do what they need to do, their self-esteem. And just a year later, after just one year of law school, all of those measures are in the pooper, you know? <laughs> and it's shocking, really, right? And so, you know, this is a systemic problem. And as you know, there's many different aspects of the legal community that are kind of coming at it in different ways. I personally think the LAPs have been the most courageous in making the biggest strides. But, you know, the employers are working on it and the judiciary is working on it. But there's not a ton of stuff that we as individuals can do to navigate this really dysfunctional system. But there are two things, right? So one, I think, is being really thoughtful about the way we respond to stress, right? No matter whether you are a small town lawyer or you're working at one of the biggest firms in the world, right? Like there is so much stress that goes along with being a lawyer, right? It's an adversarial system. Our client only has us, like we really need to deliver for them. We experience, you know, vicarious trauma, you know, compassion fatigue, all these things that I've learned about largely through the LAP. And so it's a tough environment, right? So one of the ways that we can work on that is how are we responding to this environment, right? Like that environment is kind of table stakes right now. We don't have a ton of agency to make those systemic changes at the external environmental level. And that's where I think Julie's excellent advice that is in the column really comes into play, right? Because that can be really triggering for our nervous system to be navigating these really dysfunctional environments all the time. And I think what her advice really helps us do is kind of create a bubble, a little bit of a buffer around ourselves so that we can take care of ourselves. Yeah. I just was thinking of something that you said a moment ago and also thinking about Julie's column. And I found myself thinking about emotions when Julie was, when I was interviewing her, but it makes me want to ask you, because I know you've done a lot of work with emotional intelligence. And I wondered what you thought about 
the question of how lawyers and individually, sometimes in these columns and in this podcast, I try to provide information that each listener can take in and do something with. So how would you say lawyers can approach their emotions in a way that increases their well-being and kind of like as a companion to the information Julie gave? That's exactly the right question. And I think Julie's advice actually creates the space for us to actually engage with our emotions in a way that can support our well-being. Because we all have been trained to put them to the side. And as you and I both know, right, when we are kind of avoiding some emotions or putting some emotions to the side, what we end up doing is dampening all of our emotions, right? So we're missing all these opportunities for, you know, maybe emotions that we would like, you know, joy and pride and, and emotions that make us want to connect with other people, right? Like those are getting kind of turned down as well. And so the move really is to say, okay, let me just kind of go with Denise and Michelle and Julie here a little bit and say, all right, fine. I'll try getting in touch with my feelings. I'll try being a little bit more tolerant of my feelings, right? That's sometimes the way I like to help people think about it. And so one way to do that really is to just kind of take a beat, right? And so Lawrence Krieger has these six practices that he thinks really inform lawyer well-being. I think he has a book coming out, although I haven't been able to get a specific publication date. But one of those is to just kind of set a timer at six times throughout the day, right? So we can use our Apple Watch or whatever. You know, we have all these devices haunting us. We may as well leverage them <laughs> for good. And just set it for one minute, right? An alarm for one minute. And in that one minute, I think one of the, the first things that we do to kind of create that gateway to us really connecting with our emotions in the middle of a day that's crazy and we've been kind of putting our emotions to the side for a long time, which of course then becomes habitual, is I invite people to do belly breathing, right? And so that's something that, you know, basically instead of kind of just whatever our regular breathing is, we focus on really trying to breathe using our abdomen. And really as we're breathing at a, slightly slower pace. It doesn't have to be, you know, we don't want you losing your breath or feeling like it's really artificial. Using that to really inhale and fill up our belly with as much air as we can. And then slowly exhale. And as we're doing that, kind of squeezing our belly to kind of push all the air out and through our nose or mouth. So I encourage people, you know, when we practice it in our sessions to do that six times, that seems to kind of help us just get into that space. And then once we're in that space, I invite people to really just take a second and just notice what's happening in their body. And a lot of times people are very confused by that question, right? Like you've got, we've got our head, we've got our feelings, we've got our body. Like I thought we were going to do feeling work, right? But what we know is if you have been in the habit of not really engaging in emotional awareness, emotional self-awareness, right? It can be really hard all of a sudden to just sit there and give yourself space because what's going to happen is a million things are going to come up, right? Like, you know, these emotions and these thoughts about our emotions, like we've been putting them to the side for so long. That if you open the door, they're running in, right? Like they have been trying to be heard for so long, you know? And so that can be overwhelming and it might kind of make us not really want to do that too frequently. But if we just kind of check in with our body and, and do, you know, in the mindfulness practice, it's kind of called a body scan. We don't really need to use that language, but just kind of notice what's happening in your body. Are you noticing any physical sensations? Are you noticing any temperature changes? Just to kind of like locate some area of physical sensation that you can connect with. And then once we do that, so that's step two, really just checking in with the body. Step three is to just kind of focus your breath in that area. So for example, I'm feeling some kind of flutters in my stomach, right? And, you know, taking a beat and just kind of like breathing into that helps me kind of get some space around it. 
you know, the initial thing that came to mind is I noticed that feeling in my stomach was anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous about doing this podcast with Denise, right? Like she's such a, a head honcho, right? Like <laughs> you just increased my own that level of nervousness. <laughs> what emotions are contagious, right? You know, yeah. My imposter syndrome is like coming up right now. <laughs> well, I am sorry. Of course, no, no, I did no. not mean to do that. I'm just, I'm kidding, but not kidding. But no, I think we all struggle with that. But yes, exactly. Well, while you were leading us through those first steps, I was doing them. Because I myself, I get a little anxious and nervous every time I do the podcast. And so I was practicing what you were saying as you're talking. So I'm your first subject right here. And well, and what are you, if you don't mind, what are you noticing as you're doing this? Same thing. A little tightness of my stomach and a feeling of, and I'm not sure if this is, was my morning coffee or the, but adrenaline, like I feel adrenaline in me, you know, and all these thoughts come in our minds, right? I'm thinking, Michelle is just such a lovely person. I love sitting with her. So this is not about in any way, shape or form about who is on the podcast. It's actually all just whenever we do anything like public speaking, or we're in front of people, it just comes up. I don't know if anyone doesn't have that experience when they're doing this kind of thing, you know? I mean, what an amazing illustration of, I think the upside and the challenges of this practice, right? Like the upside is, and I was kind of doing it with you and had kind of a similar journey, right? Like initially it's this sort of sense of like maybe some fear, anxiety, that kind of thing, right? But then you were wondering like, well, maybe it's like physiological, like maybe I had a little bit too much coffee, right? Like maybe I'm not actually feeling that anxious. For me, I was like, you know what? Sometimes my anxiety shows up in my stomach like that, but I actually think what I'm feeling right now is excitement. Like I love this topic. I love having the chance to talk with you about it and hopefully, you know, creating some opportunity for people to engage with it. And then you also illustrated, right? This is the way our brains work. Our brain's entire focus, right? It's it, the reason we've evolved to have these massive heads is twofold, right? One is threat detection. So when we have actually a quiet moment, it's so easy for all these things to pour in things we need to do, things we're worried about. And obviously that's influenced by our negativity bias, right? So a lot of the stuff that comes in, even if it's neutral or maybe even positive, we have a way of kind of like switching that around to maybe make it negative and maybe make it feel more threatening. And because there really is no separation between our mind, our feelings, and our body, we can start creating a cycle where a thought comes in that's kind of neutral, but I have some, you know, maybe I'm feeling stressed or other times I've had a thought, I don't like that thought for whatever reason. Then I notice I start to feel anxious. And then when I'm feeling anxious, I notice like my heart gets a little faster, my stomach clenches. And then that's sort of reinforcing this experience of threat, right? And so you can see how the cycle kind of kicks off in that way. The other real core function of the brain that really connecting with your feelings is just absolutely essential for is connection, right? And when you look at the research around lawyer well-being, we know that a lack of connection and isolation are two of the main drivers that are creating so much of the distress in the profession. And so really creating that space to connect with yourself helps you really connect with other people, not just because it helps you be more empathetic towards others. It kind of helps you create the space for that natural desire to connect, right? Lawyers are so, so busy. It's really hard to keep up relationships with people that are either not in the firm or not in your house, right? But we know how important those things can be. And really just finding that time to check in with yourself and really kind of figure out what you need, I think will create a little bit more space for us to connect with people that can support our well-being. So in those moments, and this is why it's really helpful if you can do it with someone else. In those moments, it's really helpful to just remind yourself and really turn towards yourself with kindness and say, this is what brains do. This is okay. And for now, you know, thank you, brain, for trying to keep me safe. But right now, I'm just going to kind of breathe into this sensation I'm having in my body. The body is really important because 
a million reasons the body is important, obviously, but one is it's actually inherently regulating if we can kind of tune into what's happening in our body and name what's happening in our body in sort of a neutral measured way. And that makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. Like we need to have a sense of what's happening with our physiology so that we can keep ourselves safe and we can procreate, right? I mean, at, at the most basic level. And so it's kind of a tool that we can use now in our daily lives. A friend of mine went to a physical therapist and the physical therapist said, you know, you're so connected with your body. It just happens to be from the neck up, <laughs> but he's a lawyer. I thought that was so funny because I think that's the case, right? For so many of us. And so this kind of has that, that double benefit of, of kind of just creating that space for us to check in with our body, but also to sort of let some of these feelings come and go, because I'm sure this is something you talk about a lot, Denise, right? Like no matter what the feeling is, right? And we all have our feelings that we like or we don't like, but feelings really are there. They serve a purpose. And most feelings have what in my training we refer to as sort of an action tendency. So, you know, sadness, when we show visible signs of sadness, that creates the space for other people to comfort us. Excitement maybe brings us together with other people, right? Anger can help us kind of right wrongs that have been done against us if we can access, you know, kind of the anger in a healthy way. And so really connecting with the body sometimes can help us just notice what we're feeling and notice, is there something that we should be doing with this feeling? Not always, right? Sometimes we just need to have the feeling. And the other thing about feelings, right, is they're waves. So a feeling will come on and no matter what kind of a feeling it is, it's going to come on. And especially if we haven't really been connected to our feelings, we'll notice it and it might feel really, really strong. But if we can just kind of stay connected to our body and breathing, we'll have an opportunity to notice how that feeling, it may intensify, but then it'll dissipate. And the more that we can create the space to see that part of our own emotional experience, the more we can create the tolerance for our feelings. Yeah, exactly. Because when you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, negative emotions are not easy to have. They're not easy to sit with and feel. And so I think a lot of people, and especially lawyers, you know, when they're feeling negative emotions like anger or fear or sadness, the feeling will initially come in and it will be so aversive, right? I mean, no one wants to sit there and feel furious with rage or feel bereft and, and crying with sadness. So it's such an aversive thing that we just retreat into coping mechanisms that are unhealthy, you know, drinking or using other stimuli to make us feel better, to take those emotions away. So what you're saying, it sounds like is, let the feelings in and sit with them because they're not going to stay at that intensity. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, or I guess what I've seen, right, is the more that we can create the space to feel these feelings, the more we tolerate the intensity. And I, I will also say, I think Julie's advice, you know, when we are really experiencing, you know, when we're getting flooded, right, is that sense of just being completely overwhelmed by a feeling. And this can go in a lot of ways, right? Like there's anger, but there's also anxiety, right? And that can lead us into this space of panic attacks. And one of the things that I always like to, this is actually, I'm very influenced by the work of Kristen Neff around mindful self-compassion. When we're experiencing that kind of overwhelming feeling, if we can create the space for it, right, acknowledge that this is just part of what we're wired to do and that it's a new habit we're developing, right? Like this is something we haven't been doing and turn towards ourselves with kindness and maybe even speak to ourselves like we might speak to a good friend who was overwhelmed by something or, you know, if you have a, a child or a niece or a nephew or even a pet, you know, when they get really upset, like if you can try speaking to yourself in the way that you speak to these creatures that you love, right, and care so much for, that can really help us kind of deepen that space, but in a way that feels regulated, in a way that feels okay, and in a way that doesn't leave us feeling completely alone with a feeling that might be really tough for us to handle. 
going back to Professor Krieger's research, I think one of the things that's really interesting is to me, there's still a little bit of a chicken and an egg proposition because I think there's something about law that attracts people that really want to inhabit the mind and who I think are also kind of oriented towards problem solving, right? Like academics want to inhabit the mind, but maybe they don't have that same desire to really accomplish practical and tangible things, you know? Yes. And so I think that's one of the reasons why really building up our emotional tolerance as lawyers, I think, is so critical because there's something about all of us who became lawyers that we kind of wanted to move away from feelings anyway. And so the law was sort of a little bit of a perfect vessel for us to do that. I think one of the other challenges too is, you know, what I've described to you, right, in, in really getting in touch with your emotions. You know, I've seen the transformative power of it working with individuals. I've also seen the transformative power of it working within groups of lawyers. But when you look at legal environments, you are not seeing a lot of space for emotional vulnerability, emotional self-awareness, emotional expression. So I don't want to pretend that this is something that you can show up with tomorrow in your place of work and it's going to kind of fix everything. But I think if you, you know, even just seven days, right? Like just trying this practice a few times for a week, it's really interesting to see what comes up. And something that I share actually with lawyers, and I'm happy to share it with you, it's, called, it's an emotional check-in. And so it's sort of this like kind of hacking like our cognitive strengths to make this emotional piece a little bit more accessible for us, right? So it's basically a chart where you record the date and time, the feeling, and sometimes, well, always, I actually, there's this thing called the feelings will 2.0, mm-hmm. which is this, you know, you've probably seen it. And I don't know if you've seen the updated version, which includes the bodily sensations, actually. Oh, probably not. I need to get that. It's really cool. I'll share it with you. So I invite people to use that to figure out how they're feeling, but it's always fine to just go with sad, mad, glad, scared. Those are the ones we start with, right? And then just a kind of a brief thought, like, where am I feeling it in my body, right? That's step three. And then why am I feeling this way, right? Like, did I have too much coffee this morning? Like, is there a physiological antecedent to this feeling? And then the last one, you know, if I wanted to continue and deepen this feeling, what are some things I could do, right? Or if I wanted to kind of shift my, the way I'm experiencing this feeling right now, what are some things I can do? And, you know, I encourage people to do it for seven days. And people are sort of astounded at all the different feelings that they're having all the time and what they're learning about themselves from that process. And sometimes I think when we're stuck, right, when we're really stuck in an interpersonal situation or intrapersonally, right, something going on with ourselves, there's a lot of feelings involved that we haven't laid out. And so that's probably been the the most like pragmatic experience people have had with that. They're like, well, I was really struggling with X issue. And after kind of seeing what I was experiencing over this week, it's given me clarity around what to do about X issue. And my anxiety around X issue has come way down. So that's amazing, right? It is. Yeah, thank you for sharing the importance of that. It's really, really great information. And I hope our listeners, you know, do the seven-day Michelle Cotter Richards challenge. (laughs) You told me recently about a new emotional intelligence, I think, or emotional type program uh, that you were learning or interested in. Can you share briefly with our listeners about what that is before we wrap up the day? Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. The type of therapy that model that I use is called accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy. And the, it's real explicit focus is really helping people get to know their emotions, tolerate their emotions, um, and sort of integrate themselves really in that way. There's a woman who is fabulous, Hillary Jacobs Hendel. She actually had a, an article that went around the world from the New York Times. And then she wrote a book about it. And that's called It's Not Always Depression. 
which I think the title is a little misleading, right? Even if you're not experiencing depression or you don't think that you have anything resembling depression, I highly recommend the book. But she really developed this course, which she calls Feelings 101. And I'm actually in the process of sort of working with the materials to make it accessible for lawyers. So I haven't decided if I'm going to call it Legal Feelings 101 or Feeling Like a Lawyer. I'm not sure yet. Oh, I like both those. <laughs> Thank you. But it's really, it's an eight-week course of like very short, there's some instruction around emotions and their function and, and how we can harness them. And then there's an experiential component where we get to practice all these different ways of really kind of turning inward and, and reconnecting with ourselves and our emotions as a means to help us turn outward to improve our overall well-being. Oh, that sounds amazing. And uh, you and I talked about maybe coming together again, like we did for the emotional intelligence course and, and maybe offering it to members of the DC bar in the future. So I want our listeners to stay tuned for that announcement at some point. No pressure though, Michelle, no pressure. Yeah. I love the bar and you know, I'm actually a retired bar member, but I'm still very proud to have been an active member of the DC bar. I mean, the things that you're doing, and I hope the listeners know that you guys are national leaders in creating the space for lawyer well-being and helping our legal employers in DC do that. So anything I can do to help out, I'm very happy to do that. Thank you so much. I really so appreciate you being with us today and I look forward to having you as a guest again in the future. So thank you so much today, Michelle. And I really so appreciate you sharing all your expertise with us. I wanna remind members of the DC Bar, DC judges and DC law students, if you would like free confidential help managing stress or your well-being challenges, please reach out to the DC Bar Lawyer Assistance Program. You can email us at lap at dcbar.org. Until next time, please take care of yourself.